You're listening to Can I Say That, a project created by Brenna Blaine in hopes of engaging culture as Christians in a post-Christian world. Here, we hope to ask the questions we sometimes ponder, but rarely have a chance to ask in the church. Jesus said, he is the way and the truth and the life. So we hope we can engage truth together and in extension, know the eternal life he offers. Hey, you guys, it's Brenna Blaine. About four and a half years ago, I had a friend ask me, hey, do you know what your Enneagram number is? And I was like, what are you talking about? That sounds so sketchy. She's like, no, 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 not pentagram, Enneagram. And I was like, okay. And I said, no, I have no idea what my Enneagram number is. And she said, I bet you're a four. And if you know me or if you've spent any time around kind of engaging with some of my writing, you probably know that is exactly right. But I had no idea what it was. And so I started to dive in and I was like, man, this is really cool. I really enjoy personality tests and kind of the insights that it can give you that maybe you don't recognize about yourself. And I just thought, hey, this is awesome. But then as the years kind of went by, I started to see more Christians say, hey, if you are a follower of Christ, you should not be dabbling in this as if it was the pentagram, right? Maybe these are not good jokes. But really, some people had a very sharp view of the Enneagram. And I started to ask, you know, why? I went to a very conservative Christian Bible school. And in our psychology class, we read an Enneagram book that I thought was really, really helpful. Helped me with interpersonal relationships, especially. But then about a year later, I read another book that talks a lot more about the origins of the Enneagram. And that's what some people may find as questionable. So, I decided we have to do an episode on this. It's definitely a hot topic. Lots of people are talking about it. There seem to be people that fall on one side or the other. I really want to dive into this. And although there are many Christian Enneagram experts and coaches, I thought that's kind of a biased person to ask, right? Because that's their job is to coach people through using the Enneagram. So I wanted to find someone who sees people around them in their life using the Enneagram and has a pretty good idea whether or not it's negative or positive in the life of a Christian, whether it's sketchy or harmless, whether it leads people to just sit in their sinful habits or it leads them to a new kind of redemption. What does the Enneagram really do, especially for, let's say, the biggest group that's into the Enneagram, millennials? What does it do? So on the show today, we have my friend Christian Dawson, who is a young adult pastor over at Bridgetown Church just across the river in Portland, Oregon. I'm really excited for you guys to hear his thoughts on this. If this is your first time listening to the show, or maybe you've just listened to a few episodes, I want to let you know we do a lot of interaction on Instagram. We ask you questions. There's a place where you can submit questions for the next episode. Oftentimes, I like to take audience questions and work them into the interview. So if you haven't checked that out, you can do that at Can I Say That Show? on Instagram, or you can also follow me on my personal page, Brenna Blaine, at bun on my head, and I ask a lot more questions on a lot of different topics over there as well. So, 
Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed the November episode entitled The Enneagram. Today we're talking about the Enneagram, but for those who are wondering, Christian, what is the Enneagram? Some people have called it a tool. Some people say it's personality test. And then other people say, I think as a joke, but sometimes kind of seriously, they call it astrology for Christians. So in your opinion, what exactly is it? <laughs> oh, man. I've, I mean, I've probably jokingly said all of those things myself. You know, the Enneagram, I mean, it's this nine-sided figure, right? And it's basically a personality analysis. All of them to some degree. I think all of the what you said, though, in some ways is probably a little bit true. In some ways, people live out of it like it's astrology for Christians. But I think it a, it's a, can be a helpful personality typing Um, that looks into like human psyche and generalized traits as a way of like understanding yourself better and how to have good interpersonal relationships. So I'm wondering, in your opinion, why are some Christians opposed to using the Enneagram? And do you think any of those reasons are warranted? You know, I think, yeah, I I mean, I want to stay a person who is humble and teachable enough and just open enough to what people have to say to just listen, especially when it comes to critique. So a little bit about my story with the Enneagram, I came onto it a few years ago, like a lot of people, probably through a podcast or a friend. I don't remember which. Um, actually, no, I remember the first time I was, I was working on a student leadership. I was working at a university, working with student leaders, and one of my colleagues brought the Enneagram as a tool to do some coaching for student leaders. And the first time I did it, I thought it was the most whack garbage thing. I just didn't understand it. And it was your one number, but you go to another and then sometimes you're this, you're that. It didn't make any sense to me. And so, you know, for me, I was the first person to be like, this is trash um, a while ago. But I think mainly that was because I, I didn't honestly give it a shot and it didn't click for me. It took a while for it to click. One of the reasons I think people have a hard time with it, and I think it's warranted, is that, you know, there's a lot of followers of Jesus who won like Enneagram becomes an identity statement. You know, it's I am this, which part of that's language, like to explain, yeah, this is the number that I am. You know, you use that. But, you know, a lot of times people use it in a way that it can become so prescriptive and limiting in certain ways where, you know, people can't live, you know, the Enneagram people will tell you who actually really study it. They say it's so much more complex than typically the way we, we, we look at it. So I think one of the reasons that a lot of Christians have issues with it, and I and I agree with it, is that we limit ourselves. Enneagram can become an identity statement. Jokingly, it almost becomes a cult. Like if it has this like secret inner world that people who do the Enneagram get, you know, there's just memes even connected to the Enneagram culture. I follow a meme account or I used to follow a Enneagram type three meme account because that's what I am. So I think there's some real warrants to that. I also think, you know, one of the other things is people go can easily go to the Enneagram instead of even going back to Jesus himself. And they can use the Enneagram as their ultimate place of healing rather than um, it becomes an ends rather than a means. And I think anytime, and that, that's, I think anything, life of, of a follower of Jesus, when tools and when ends become means and end goals, um, I think that's where things get twisted. And so I think those, those things are warranted. Now, on the flip side, you know, there's some on the other side of the spectrum who probably go, who probably don't want to use anything that tools like we have the Bible and that's it. And I would go, no, I mean, this is a tool that people disagree on where it comes from, but it seems like, like many personality typings, 
is a helpful tool that is somewhat grounded in commonalities and surveys, let alone hopefully in some forms of psychology that can be helpful. So I wouldn't go as far to say as like, it's useless and there's nowhere to help. And I wouldn't say that someone needs to do it in order to discover themselves. This question might take us a little bit away from the actual topic of the Enneagram, but I'm really interested in kind of your thoughts on this, just because you are a pastor, you work with young people. The question is, are we able to, as Christians, engage with things that have roots in beliefs that contrast our own? Because I see things not just with the Enneagram, but I think about yoga or I think about something recently has been the actual dates and the practices of Easter and even Christmas and traditions like Christmas trees. And it seems like sometimes we accept these things without question, mm -hmm. while other times we put it through rigorous vetting. So how should these choices be made? That's such an, uh, uh, an interesting question. You know, you have something, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on a committee for an event happening in a city in which it was this, they wanted to do a color run as a fundraiser that some Christians were putting on. And there was some big pushback from a few people saying, you know, color runs are, I think they, they come from a Hindu tradition, I think, either Hindu or Buddhist, but I'm, I'm wanting to say they're Hindu. And um, so there was this huge pushback that you shouldn't do this event, you're, you know, perpetuating X, Y, Z. You know, and so we as a committee really took some time to think about those concerns and, and, and deal with that. So, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that is um, it seems like one of the main questions that Paul's dealing with in the New Testament around things like Sabbath, food, and circumcision. There are all of these markers that the people of God had used for generations to say these markers help us remember, and they're good, that we are set apart as a people. We're different. And so some, so the people of God had certain markers like observing Sabbath, like circumcision, like not eating food offered to idols or specifically certain meats. And so when the church expanded into other cultures, they had this real question of, do we keep these things or not? And I could be wrong. This isn't like my field of, of you know, theological study. But from what I'm understanding is Paul seems to differ. And if I'm remembering correctly, like Paul tells, um, I think Corinth, the Corinth, the church in Corinth versus the church in the church in Rome, when it came to food offered to idols, to one church, I think he just said, "Don't eat it," and to another church, he allowed them to. And I think Paul's heart for everything he did is always came down to love as our first rationale for what we do. And so Paul would, I think, with when with entering any conversation around cultural issues, Paul would go. What is the most, how can I love people the best? And for some, in some communities, it would be, all right, eat the meat. In some communities, it would be, don't eat it at all. In other communities, it would be, you know, for some people, don't be offended. For other people, don't use it as a moral high ground. I, I think there is some real reason in the New Testament to understand and see why, how the church has chosen to not engage with practices that are quote unquote non-Christian or dare I say pagan, and I use that in a, like an honoring way, and sometimes to engage. Yoga has been one of them. I know people who don't do yoga because of like the roots that it has. I know some people who argue that yoga uh, actually may have come to India through Christians. I also have, you know, people who do it and, you know, whatever. So um, I, again, I think one, we, we should honor and hear out any, any follower of Jesus rationale for abstaining. And I think the more... I'll say this. I do think the more Christian way of approaching things in certain cases um, is abstinence, but mainly in the sense that if this is something that's going to cause 
someone to stumble or harm. The Christian approach, I think, is I'm, I'm willing to give up my freedom in order to allow someone else to not um, stumble. At the same time, I think there's this element, especially in the New Testament, about rising up to maturity, about almost not like Peter has that dream about eating meat. And God said, don't call things that are unholy or that I've called holy unholy. And so Peter basically was like, okay, I need to start eating meat or like he had the freedom to. And then it's interesting when you get to the book of Galatians that Peter sometimes, Peter seems to like go back and not eat. Anyway, I just think there's a lot of room for healthy freedom, but our ultimate ethic of freedom is love. And so in certain situations, it isn't loving in certain situations. It is. That's the broader thing. So like, I personally, you know, I know people say, you know, Christmas and Easter have these pagan roots and and I'm not going to argue against those or whatever, because it's, I don't know, like everything about that. But I will say this, I think God's people all throughout the scripture, old and new, new covenants are constantly known for taking, sometimes for taking things that are pagan and repurposing them for the kingdom of God. And, and so I do think that there can be at times redemptive work that's done by God's people, but it has to be done prayerfully, thoughtfully, not, not on our own, honestly, with a willingness. And I think when we do things like that, when we're saying, is this something that can be redeemed or transformed? Then I think when we, if we're, if we're asking that question, we have to do it, I think, with the humility of saying, and if there ever comes a point where the spirit of God tells me to stop or like I've crossed a line or even having other members of the body of Christ who can call you out, I, I think that's a healthy place to be able to do all of that in. So what I, I'm hearing you say is it's this individualistic communion with God trying to figure out, is this the right time for me? Is it okay for me to publicly be involved with this? And over the last two years, I've noticed a lot of churches almost not necessarily do it as like a Sunday type thing, but offer a course through the Enneagram as a midweek or as a class. You are a pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. Have you guys done anything like that? Or has there been any discussion around will we or won't we engage with this as a church? So we have done some lectures in the past around the Enneagram. We brought in um, a follower of Jesus who does that work and knows that in the past. It's been a few years and we've talked about it in the church, in church, from the pulpit. I don't think we've ever had like our pastoral team do it. And not that I, as far as I remember, I don't think we've ever done like a series, you know, that replaced kind of our Sunday teachings, but we've done external lectures on weekend and our church loves doing that sort of stuff where we do lectures and extra series and weekday things, et cetera, um, to complement some of the work because even philosophically and, and actually more importantly, theologically, you know, the mission of the church and even the Sunday gathering, when we do, when we teach, when we come to the Sunday gathering, I actually don't think it's just for, it's only to open the scripture, even though I have a very high value for the scripture. I'm not saying we're not, we don't open the scripture, but what I am saying is the great commission is uh, a part of the great commission is teaching others into maturity. Like that's what Paul constantly talks about. Jesus uses the language of um, teaching others to do both to like know and to do the things that I've commanded them. So, so part of, I think what we do when we gather on Sundays, of course, it's going through the scripture. Like that's, that's of course where we start and end everything, but also there's this element of like, Part of our maturing even is um, is helping people like deal with their emotional health. It's helping them deal with their mental health. It's talking about the body. It's talking about money, sexuality. All these things um, are a part of training people into maturity, bringing people into maturity. And it's even interesting. And I hope I hope this is this is making sense within what you just asked. But 
you know, it's interesting that if you read the New Testament letters that are read in corporate gatherings, a lot of what Paul's doing is, is not going through the Bible. He's not technically opening up the scriptures of his day and just reading Isaiah in any of the New Testament letters and just saying, here's what it means. He's actually dealing with the concerns, the issues, the problems, the sins, the strengths, the beauty, the pain of that church community in a very contextual way in light of the scriptures. And so, you know, in some ways you can use a tool like the Enneagram to do that. But again, the problem becomes, I think, when churches replace tools and even things like mental and emotional health and sexuality, et cetera, with the scripture, um, that becomes a problem. And it basically just becomes Christian self, self-help or lifestyle coaching, which isn't the point of the scripture. And it's not um, that in and of itself is not does not lead to faithfulness to Jesus or becoming the people of God. And so, but do I think churches can do it? I mean, I, I heard one church who took, who did a Sunday series through it and they actually used um, a different person in the Bible and typed them and basically did a sermon on like, on they did, you know, set nine weeks and each week was a different mm. person um, as a number and talked about the sins and the struggles and then how Jesus interacts with that person, how the gospel interacts with that person, how it brings healing, et cetera. And I thought that was a creative way of actually doing what a lot of people would do on a Sunday, just, you know, do a character study, but in light of the Enneagram and then in light of the gospel, it was creative. I would, I would never, I don't think I, I have enough, like, you know, whatever to condone that and say, don't do that or say like everyone needs. Not just as a pastor, but as someone in your own life and then in your own relationships, what ways have you seen the Enneagram be helpful for those with their walk with Christ? You know, the Enneagram was helpful, and I'll just speak for me. It was helpful for me to have language. One, to have language around some of the things that I thought were so normal, but didn't ever really notice that they that that was like to me or to like, you know, quote unquote, my number. I'm a three, um, three wing two. And so one of the things that I found really helped, it, it was so helpful to have someone who's, who was able to kind of just put a magnifying glass on something that was normal or just like, even just hold up myself to other people and go, oh, this isn't the only way to live or think or be. And the way that God can meet me because of who I am and because of how I think is really helpful. You know, and the another thing I found was so helpful, and I think I'm getting off of your question, so feel free to re-ask it again. But um, one of the things I also found helpful was having, it also actually brought me into community more. It was, I was able to like, when, when I was able to talk to friends about what I learned um, about my number specifically and one of the languages i often use is like here's where i relate to my number or what is said about my number um because some things i, re- I read and i'm like no that's not me you know it's it's not a perfect monolith i i don't fit perfectly into it i don't i think most of the enneagram books will tell you that like no one's perfectly one thing it's just language it's idea it's you know supposed to be more scaffolding and so but to have friends who were able to see a number and that could relate to me and like we could actually understand one another in a different way it was interesting i remember years ago i went on vacation with this guy who at the time you know those people who like you're in the same friend group but you're not close to that was like this guy we were in the same friend group but never really close and at one point i don't know why but i asked him to go on a vacation with me so it was just the two of us who went on this like week-long vacation and it was really like hit or miss you know it was like we're either it was, it was go big or go home like we weren't close enough to do this but we did it and it was interesting realizing, and we didn't realize to this end of the trip, but we were the same number type. But I found on my trip, like I had this weird connection with him where I just, him and I got each other in a certain way. And we were both pastors and we were both in ministry. We were both, you know, similar life seasons. 
And there was something about his personality that really helped me take my armor off in a way that a lot of my other friends didn't do as easily. And in hindsight, I think part of it is because we were the same numbers. So we got each other in a different way. And to this day, him and I talk every week on the phone, like he's one of my best friends. And so anyway, it was really interesting for me to have somebody who like, in hindsight, really gets me. And I think part of that can be something that's such a helpful tool if we don't idolize it and like make an identity out of it, but go, oh, there's like some, you know, Paul talks about fellowship of sufferings, like, oh, you too, you know, like having some people who have a you too attitude and like they both get it can be really helpful in processing life, pain, hurt, sin, struggle, strength, all those sort of things. Yeah. So those two things, first of all, language, because I think in some ways, you know, there's that quote and I, I think it's um, Augustine. It's like, you know, know thyself so that you may know God. And there's this degree that like you can, you, you know, you can only know God, at least if I'm quoting him correctly, to the degree that you know yourself, like you, you, you have to do a little bit of the work of understanding who you are, how you think, because actually God, I think often meets us in our personality. You know, I have a deep conviction that God made us like before we were even in the womb, God had a plan and design for us. He intricately knows our innermost being. I Enneagram or not, I just believe that to be true. Like God knows us better than the Enneagram. He's so personally formed each of us. And so I, I think there's something about allowing, knowing ourselves, which the Enneagram can only go so far, but just getting to know who we are, our pain, knowing our family, even like not just the Enneagram, but knowing our family of origin and our history, things that have passed down generationally, things we are struggle with, things our families propensities for, things our families call normal. And then learning to know God in those spaces is so helpful because that's, you know, the true self. And that's what part of Enneagram wants to do is I think it's trying to help us come to find our true self, not just like our wounds and not just the self that we've learned, but like, who am I? Who has God really formed me to be in the most beautiful part of who I am, you know? And how do I um, work through my wounds? How do I work through my fears? How do I work through my hurt? And my how do I work through all those things to become the truest version of who I am, the goodest, if I can use that word, version of who I am, the, the God version of who I am, like the in Christ me. What is that? And the Enneagram can't do all of that, but the Spirit of God can. And so I think the Enneagram, Enneagram can be a tool where we get to know ourselves a little bit so that we can know God a lot. And that way we can actually see how God can step in and interact with us more. So I think if we can use the Enneagram as a means, it can really step into that. I think, um, you know, jokingly, I'd be it'd be funny to see like, what scriptures resonate with each type a little bit more. A few months ago, like I was joking with a friend and I think we made a, a note of like Enneagram types favorite worship songs, you know, like uh, who would like what, like what song based on it. And I, I wish, I, I don't know if I still have the note to like jokingly even share that. Cause I think there is some of it that can be fun and helpful. Like I, I think when we wrote, uh, we wrote like, you know, type twos would love the blessing, you know, type, uh, type threes would like who you say I am. Type six, maybe be like, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Type sevens might like the song like This Is Living Now or Keep On Getting Better by Maverick City. Type eights we wrote would like Fight My Battles. And then nines would like So Will I just because there's a thousand different perspectives and words and ways of saying something, you know, who knows? But like there is something that can be really helpful to even know your type in certain ways and ways that you can interact. But again, I, I wouldn't want to idolize it. What resources have been your favorite Enneagram resources and tools to use? Oh, okay. So I'm pretty basic with Enneagram. Again, I'm not like deep, deep cut. 
So I listened, I, I read through The Road Back to You. That's the one I, it's the only book on it I read. I know some people love Sacred Enneagram. And then I did a lot of Googles and just like looked up my type and then did it. And then podcast, I also did The Road Back to You. And then I think one of the hosts also had their own podcast that was separate that I listened through. And then there was a few secular ones, and this isn't helpful because I don't remember the name, but there was a secular one written by a few women, uh, who, a few women who hosted it. And they were pretty crass and foul through parts of it, but it was really interesting to hear it from hear the Enneagram from a non-Christian perspective too. And like things I related to and other things I didn't. If someone is nervous about approaching the Enneagram, but they want to be well self-informed, what do you recommend they do? I recommend doing, I think the road back to you is probably a really good safe one to step into. So I would probably say, check out the road back to you as either a book or a podcast, or there's probably like a YouTube short version Mm -hmm. lecture of it. But I would say, don't do it by yourself. I would do it with a few other followers of Jesus and then process it, process your, you know, your hesitations, process the things that you're like really stoked about with it and do it together. Because I think if we do it together, then we have the ability to both probably avoid some of the pitfalls of idealizing it. We have a community in which they can even name like, oh, I do see this in you, whether it's health or unhealth. And also who can name like, no, nah, that's actually not so much you. So I think, again, doing it with people is probably the thing I would recommend the most. And then Christian, before we end, how can people find you if they want to ask you questions about anything you said today, or maybe they're just interested? I know a lot of people know about Bridgetown, the church, if they're interested in you and kind of what you do as a pastor, how can people get connected with you? Yeah. So first I just start with my church website, bridgetown.church. So you can find us. I'm on there. I also have my own website. My name's Christian Gabriel Dawson. And so my website's christiangdawson.com. So you can check that out and um, connect with me there or social media. My stuff's Christian G. Dawson, Christian G. Dawson, and I respond to people's DMs. So hit me up. I'm pretty friendly and yeah, I would love to connect. And then you're an Enneagram type three. Three wing two, yes. And if I'm correct, you do music. So what's your favorite thing about being a three and being in the artistic world? Oh, wow. Um, okay, so threes, in my opinion, at least for me, I'm, I live in the future. My mind sees things and sees possibilities. People a lot of times confuse eights and threes. Eights have this energy and drive that like is almost exhausting to me. I don't have it. We both like starting things. Eights have this incredible fire around them. But threes, what I love is I find myself to be someone who can take something and make it better. I love like getting to know people and making them better. I love being in systems and working with like structures and seeing how I can improve them. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about threes is that we're able to to make things better. The other thing that often gets villainized is threes are often known for being chameleons. You know, people are like, you're fake. Are you being the real you? But actually threes, like I think in our truest selves, we actually like to um, meet people where they're at. And we have this ability to see people and then try to like accommodate. So um, one of the things I do love about threes, which can be a, uh, you know, it can be a hard thing if we don't use it correctly, but threes, we really do accommodate people and like to meet them where they're at and um, even adapt to where our room is. And so I really like that about what it's, what it is to be a three. As someone who does music, you know, I'm not the like diehard creative where I have like new things constantly oozing. I think I'm more of the, the person who likes to take music and then like rewrite it or, or change it or or make it even better so i have some friends who are just the like 
they take new, they, they're just oozing new, new musical fonts. And, and that's not my first thing in, in terms of creative, but I love like playing with other people and, and just putting things together and making music better. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the conversation. Brennan and I hope you found it both helpful and relevant. If you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show. We almost always use Instagram stories to ask questions pertaining to the next episode leading up to the recording. So keep a lookout for such in case you have any burdening questions on that topic and for the opportunity to potentially have your questions asked. Either way, thanks again for listening. And as Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, test everything, hold fast what is true.